Thank you, Jim. Let me acknowledge one of our leaders of one of those teams, the McKinnons, Ginger, Todd. Would you guys stand up? Thank They lead our greeting team. Would you guys stand? Go ahead. <clears throat> Appreciate you guys making us feel welcome, particularly our guests. Thanks for all your work, particularly Ginger and every once in a while, Todd. If you're our guest this morning, again, a special welcome to you. If I can help you know if this is the right place for you, if I can direct you to the place that is right for you, would love to get you in a church family. But thank you so much for being here with us. I don't know what you have planned for the upcoming spring break that begins not tomorrow, but the next Monday. But we have a group among us that are going to spend spring break serving people in Haiti. So I want to ask our Haiti team to go ahead and come up this morning as we pray for them and commission them on their trip. They won't be with us next Sunday. They'll be worshiping in Haiti. So go ahead and team, come on up. Don't be shy. And Jim Hessen, our deacon of missions, we're going to pray for you guys. Um, They are going down to uh, Port-au-Prince, Haiti to build a home. Uh, Many of you recall the earthquake years ago. What year was that? 2010? 2010, I believe. Uh, And we have a team of seven is it seven or eight? Uh, some not. There's, there's a late comer right there. John, where you been? Oh, he's serving on our multimedia team. So we'll give him a, it's a long walk from back there. They're going to go, <clears throat> excuse me, and thank you for the water, Miss Nancy. Um, they're going to go build a home in Port-au-Prince, Haiti for a family that uh, is living in a dilapidated uh, tin uh, somewhat of a home right now. And uh, they are partnering with a seminary in Port-au-Prince that we support and partner with monthly uh, as one of our mission partners. And they're going to build this home for a family in coordination with the, the Step Seminary there. And so they're giving up their spring break. They're paying their way. You guys, as a church family, have helped to raise the $6,000 of materials that they need uh, to go on this trip. So your part in terms of helping uh, was part of, was, was helping to raise the money, but it's also praying for them as they go, okay? So keep this team in prayer. We're going to try to have regular posts through the week that they're gone uh, on Facebook. So if you're on social media, you can follow along there for the specific uh, prayer request for that day. Okay, so let's uh, introduce our team. Jim, would you introduce, uh, this is a pop quiz yeah. for you, okay? Uh, if you can't do it, I can, all right? I know uh, you got some seniority on me, uh, so if you need some help, I'll give it to you. Uh, Jim is our deacon of missions. He's been on this trip before. He's not going this time because of his seniority, but uh, he is going to be prayerful for the team as they go. So will you introduce the team for us, Jim? Thanks for putting me on the spot. I, You're welcome. I, I know everybody's name, but I doubt I would be able to say it right this second because that's the way it goes, you know. By the way, I thought Jim should be the one up here praying because remember the last time he prayed was right before the Super Bowl and the Eagles won. So obviously he's uh, a man of great faith uh, don't, and don't, God hears don't, his voice. Don't, so. encur- don't encourage that. Don't encourage that. <laughs> so I'm going to do this differently. I'm going to ask you, each of you guys to introduce yourselves. Oh, that would be the easiest way. Cop out. <laughs> cop out. <laughs> Hi, I'm John Watkins. I'm Natalie Watkins. I'm Faith England. I'm Rebecca Aldrin. Jim Waldron, and my other daughter Megan's not here this morning, but she will be going with us as well. And Kimberly Buford. Awesome. Okay, so is, yeah, give it up. And is, is Megan the only one not up here this morning? Uh, so predominantly a, a teen trip and then some white-haired folks among them. Uh, man, I'm really on a roll today. Uh, this was, the purpose of this was to bring you up and bless you, right? Um, so here we go. Um, Let's give the microphone back down to Kimberly for just a second. Kimberly has been before as well as John and Jim, but 
Kim, as we get ready to pray for you guys, share just a little bit with um, the church family here. What really impacted you the most the last time you were down there or what you're looking forward to as you get back there again? Yes, this was tough. Ross said one thing, uh, and it's tough to pin it down to one thing. Um, but I really thought about it and I prayed about it. And uh, I'm, the thing I'm truly looking forward to the most is, is the kids are so trusting. Like you walk through the gate and they, they'll climb you like a tree. It's amazing. But the kids like love you and trust you right out of the right out of the literal gate. Um, but the adults, the parents and the grandparents, it's when you get a day or two in and the parents start coming out and they start coming to the lessons that they teach in the morning before we start building and they start remembering your name and they start asking questions and they start really seeking after the Lord. And we were privileged enough to see a, a couple girls give their hearts to the Lord last time we were there. And seeing the parents really trusting you with your children, with their children, um, and and seeing them cross that line into into true discipleship with the seminary students that are there, I'm just really really looking forward to the opportunity to see that again. Thank you, Kimberly. I'm going to have Jim pray for you guys. I also want to say um, our, some of our elementary students are in here with us for this part of the service because four of their teachers are going on this trip. Um, they have been studying, as we have begun to study the book of Acts, our elementary students have been studying the missionary trips of Paul. And since we're having a missionary trip uh, leave here next Saturday, we wanted them to be involved in this and, and to pray for their, for their teachers and their table leaders as well. So um, thank you guys for being in here. And maybe someday in the next few years, you could go on one of these trips and maybe God would even lead you to go and live in Haiti for a season or to serve God somewhere around the world. Um, so, Jim, would you pray for this great team? Bow our heads. <clears throat> Father, we thank you so much that you're our great and awesome God and that you allow us to participate in reaching this world for you. And we thank you for this opportunity that uh, our brothers and sisters have here to go for us into Haiti and to serve. It isn't about the house, it's about the hearts. And I pray, Lord, for open hearts on the part of the neighborhood, uh, the families, the children, but also on our team, that they would heed your voice and be filled with your spirit. I pray for uh, renewal and strength and power. We know there are forces aligned against, uh, against uh, you, Lord, and your gospel in this neighborhood. Uh, the power of the enemy is strong. We, we know that you are stronger. And we pray now that you would break through those bonds, uh, the voodoo and the juju and all the other animistic religions there that capture people's hearts, the violence and the, and the gangs, Lord, we pray that you would break through with, your, with the message of mercy and peace and grace and hope and salvation through our Lord and Savior, Jesus. Please watch over each one of, the, of, our, of our brothers and sisters here, particularly with the travel there as they have to sleep in the airport overnight. And we pray, Lord, that you would give them rest and that they would uh, have strength to do beyond what they think they can. 
And as they minister through their actions and their words, and as the seminary students are able to speak the gospel and share the lessons with uh, the neighborhood, we pray that hearts would be opened and those in the neighborhood that you have called would come to faith in you. We thank you, Lord, for all that served down there. We think particularly uh, of the Youngs and the other families there that serve so faithfully in Haiti every day. And we ask you to bless and watch over them as well and all our brothers and sisters at Step Seminary. That at this week approaches, Lord, that you would be glorified in all that this team does and, that, and those ministries do. And we thank you and praise you for all of this. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. Would you give it up for our team again? You guys can return to your seats. Thank you guys so much. Thanks for sacrificing your spring break. I know it'll be a gift to you. Elementary students, you guys can head back to your class now, if you like, or even if you don't like. Hey, I want to begin with a question this morning. Uh, it's a question for you. I don't want you to answer out loud, okay? So hold your, hold your answer to yourself for right now. But here's the question. Uh, what comes to your mind when you think of someone especially empowered by the Holy Spirit? Don't answer that out loud yet, but what comes to your mind when you think of someone empowered by the Holy Spirit? And now let me uh, give you some of the possible responses to that question, popular responses to that question. Did you think about someone who was a special missionary or going to serve Christ overseas? Was that perhaps something that came to your mind? Was it perhaps uh, someone who was especially bold in their faith? That's someone who's empowered by the Holy Spirit. Was it someone speaking in tongues, perhaps? Was it someone who is able to do miracles? Is that the picture or the observation that you had in your head? Is it someone especially loving and compassionate and very uh, ministerial in their countenance? Well, what about this? What about someone being empowered by the Spirit who is building a building? And that's what our team is, is going to go do next Saturday. They're going to build a home. And guess what? The first mention in the scriptures of someone empowered by the Holy Spirit comes in Exodus chapter 35, and it's a man that many of us in this room have never heard of, but it's a guy named Bezalel. Bezalel. And it says that he's a special craftsman, and he's building the tabernacle of God. And it says he's the first person empowered specially empowered by the Holy Spirit, a guy doing physical labor, a guy, an artisan, a craftsman, someone who specialized in, in, in gold building and, and craftsmanship, a carpenter, if you will, was the first gifted person by the Holy Spirit. I bet that surprises you. It surprised me. In our study this morning of the book of Acts, today we come to a watershed moment in the history of God's church. And this watershed moment is what's called Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, and it's the coming of the Holy Spirit. And this is going to make many of us here this morning uncomfortable, including the preacher, okay? Because this isn't often taught, 
perhaps not in our circles. Perhaps you grew up with uh, inhibitions about this or confusion about this. But this is a prominent watershed moment in the history of God's people as the Spirit descends upon his people to indwell them and to empower them. So we're going to read this morning from Acts chapter 2. I've asked Becky Stalkup to to lead us as we read the scripture, and there's some really hard names to pronounce in here, so I decided to delegate it to her. Okay? So would you stand with Becky and myself? The words will be on the screen as well. Becky is going to read from chapter 2 and then pray for our time in God's word. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene from visitors from Rome, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes. Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God, and all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others mocked, mocking, said they are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words, for these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day, but this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you and we want to hear you. Fill us with your spirit. Be with Ross as he delivers his messages. Help us to hear your words always. Go with us out in the world. Be with those that are going on mission trips and fill them with your spirit as well. We say all these things in your son's precious name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Becky. You can be seated. If you haven't been with us the last few weeks, we've said as we've begun this study of the book of Acts, that Acts tells us that Jesus is not done with his work. If you read uh, the beginning of the New Testament, the first four books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you see the birth and the life and ministry of Jesus. You see his death and resurrection, his ascension. And you might think, well, Jesus... That's the end of the story of Jesus. He's now in heaven, and Jesus' work here is over. And that is actually incorrect, because we've seen at the beginning of Acts here that Jesus' work is beginning, Jesus' work is continuing, excuse me, through his church. In verse 1, it says the previous book that Luke has written, the uh, the book of Luke, excuse me, began to tell what Jesus was doing, his word and his works. And the implication is that Jesus has now ascended to the Father, but he is continuing to do a work. That work is now through his body, what's established here in Acts chapter 2, the church. 
Jesus is not done working in this world. He's not working through us. He's working through this spirit-empowered people, this new community called the church. And if you recall as well, we've also said that Acts is one of the unique books in the New Testament because it doesn't have a nice, tight ending. When you get to Acts chapter 28, you find Paul imprisoned, and it says that he's preaching about the kingdom of God, and then the story just kind of stops there. And we said that that's significant because the book of Acts is the continuing of what Jesus is doing, and guess what? Jesus is continuing to do things through his church, through us. And so in a very real sense, though Acts stops at Acts chapter 28, the church and Jesus' work continues in Acts 29, 30, 31, through the centuries, through the decades, through weak, empowered people like you and me. He's continuing to work through the church, and the story of Acts continues to this day. We looked at one of the prominent verses in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Jesus makes this promise. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. And we said that just as those first disciples went to the edges, to the ends of the, of the Roman world at that time in just 30 short years, so also we are as witnesses. And not just to Frisco or not just to Collin County, but we have been charged to have a heart, not just for our neighbors, which we should have right here in Frisco in Collin County, but to, as well as we send people to Haiti to have a heart for the nations, that we continue to be the witnesses and the tool that God uses to reach the lost, to minister to the hurting, to the hungry, to the lonely, to the lost in our neighborhood and around the nations. We get to partner with what God is doing in Haiti. And as you go to work tomorrow or as you go to school tomorrow, you are not just attending Wakeland High School. You are going as Christ's missionary. You're going as his witness. And some of you have the privilege of traveling uh, to places around the world that many of us don't go. Some, Jim, travels often to India. Uh, others of you, I know Scott back here in the back, is going to England for several weeks on business. God is giving you a free ticket, business class, to go and be his witness and be his representative uh, wherever he places you, your Jerusalem, your Judea, your Samaria. And so I've asked us as we go through this series, through this series, to consider what's your Jerusalem? What's your Judea? Where are you going to partner with the uttermost parts of the world to be a partner and a participant in what God is doing? And Jesus said to do this, you need to wait and have his power. And that power is the power of the Holy Spirit, which descends upon the church right here in Acts chapter 2. And people begin to speak in tongues. Miraculous things happen as God's Spirit descends upon his people. And maybe as we read this this morning, you're like, I don't know what to make of this. And you see that the response of the people when this very... Uh, this, this first happening here in Acts chapter 2, you see the people's response in verse 12. Look with me in verse 12. It says, and all were amazed and perplexed. Two responses there. 
from the people as this happened. They were amazed and they were perplexed. Maybe some more amazed than perplexed. Maybe some others more perplexed than amazed. But they were amazed and perplexed. There was a third response, though, and the third response comes in verse 13, and that says, but others mocked and said, these people are drunk. What is happening here? So we can be amazed, we can be perplexed, or we can even mock what has happened here or what the Spirit does through His people. My grandparents were a part of a heritage uh, in the Pentecostal tradition. And as a young child, I remember mocking this because I went to that Pentecostal church in Enid, Oklahoma, and there were often be expressions. And I'm going to make some of you uncomfortable here today, okay, including myself. But there would be expressions of tongues as they gather, people speaking in tongues. As an eight or nine-year-old kid, I'm like, what is going on here? Not used to this. And what compounded the confusion, the perplexity for me even more is that one time, as we're there in my grandparents' church, not only was there some speaking in tongues, but I got that confused with this guy a couple rows down from us who was probably in his 70s or 80s who began to have an epileptic seizure during church. And they rolled this guy out into the middle of the aisle and they have literally a comb trying to catch his tongue and help this guy not swallow his tongue. And here I am and people are speaking in tongues and this guy's having a seizure and jolting. And I'm like, what are my grandparents into? Crazy. So I have some questions. I have some inhibitions. I have some perplexities about this experience, about the reading of this very passage. My, my challenge to us today, as I hopefully I'll say at the end again, is not, what, not do you believe in tongues or do you speak in tongues. My challenge to us this morning is, do you believe the Bible? Amen. Like, it's in here. We have to interpret it, but do you believe the Bible? And so there's these responses, amazement, perplexity, mocking. What is our response this morning? And I want to challenge you. Is it perplexion? Is it distance? Is it dismissive? Oh, that, that happened then. That's a special deal. God doesn't send his power now. Is it something you want to explain away? Is it something uh, like me that perhaps you're fearful of or perhaps you're here this morning and you've just been coming a while or you're a guest and you're like, what kind of church have I entered into here? A church that walks through the Bible verse by verse, verse, by verse and tries to see what is God teaching us here, even if it makes us uncomfortable. So it's in here, and I want to ask this this morning as we look at this to say, God, what do you want? What do you want to teach us? What do you want to teach me about your Holy Spirit? What do you want to teach me about your power and your work even to this day? So I want to take as the basis for our sermon and our conversation this morning the very question that they asked as they observed this. The question of verse 12 is, what does this mean? Do you see it there in your Bibles? Underline that. What does this mean? That's the question that I want us to ask and attempt to answer in this message. And well, as well, we'll look at verses 17 and the following parts of the chapter in weeks to come. But I want us to begin to answer this question. What does this mean? And quickly, here's where we're going today. It means that a new era has arrived with the Spirit. Secondly, a new people is being formed by the Spirit. And thirdly, a new power is ours in the spirit. Okay? That's where we're going. First of all, a new era 
has come, a new era has arrived with, with the Spirit. So if you look here uh, in verse 1, it says that this happened on the day of Pentecost. And that's not an accident. And that was a day and that was a feast, a celebration that the Jews gathered in Jerusalem at this time were familiar with. They've been celebrating it since their deliverance from Egypt years and years before. And Pentecost literally means the 50th day. Pentecost is the 50th day after the Passover celebration. And you remember, or you might recall, that Jesus was crucified, dead, and buried at the Passover time. And so this is happening. He uh, appeared to his disciples over a period of 40 days. That's 40 days. And then there's 10 days after he ascends that they are waiting and praying. We talked about that last week. And then the Holy Spirit descends on this day of Pentecost. It's also called, Pentecost is also called the Feast of Harvest or the Feast of Weeks. It celebrated the first fruits of the harvest. As they, as they brought in the first fruits, the beginning of the harvest that they, they were gleaning, that's what they were celebrating. The harvest has come. And so it's no mistake that the first fruits of the Spirit the giving of the Spirit happens on the first fruits of the harvest. And the first fruits of this sermon that Peter gives is the first fruits of 3,000 souls that come in to God's kingdom. Pentecost, uh, the tradition also said amongst Jews that, that Pentecost uh, was the time, 50 days was the time from when the Israelites left Egypt. And it was 50 days later that they received the law at Mount Sinai. The Ten Commandments, the Mosaic Covenant was given to them 50 days, tradition had it in Jewish time. And so now they received the law 50 days after their deliverance from Egypt. And now 50 days after Christ's crucifixion, they are receiving not the law, but the Spirit written upon their hearts as Jeremiah and Ezekiel had promised centuries before. So the timing of this is not accidental. It is not coincidental. You see that uh, three things really happen here. We have uh, this appearance, this sound like a wind, and we have this, this, the presence of fire. The wind here is significant because the wind is the same word in both Greek and Hebrew. Wind is the same word for wind, as well as for spirit. So you can, you can translate the Hebrew word ruah as wind or spirit, and you can translate the Greek word pneuma as wind or spirit. So the wind that comes is telling us the spirit is coming. The fire as well is, is symbolizing the presence of God. You remember perhaps in Genesis chapter 15 at the Abrahamic covenant, as God is making this covenant with Abraham and what will become the nation of Israel the presence of God is symbolized with fire as this covenant is made. As Abraham, or excuse me, as Moses goes to the top of Mount Sinai and receives the law, the presence of God is, is described to us as fire. And so the wind and the fire are telling us the Spirit of God is here. The presence of God is with you. The fire in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 29, it says that our God is a consuming fire. And so the Spirit has come just as He promised. And we've looked at the promise of that Spirit. And I, the promise of the Spirit's appearing. I mentioned Acts 1-8 just previously in the book. But also, we looked previously previous weeks at John 14, 
verses 15 and 16, where Jesus says, I'm going away, but I'm going to send to you the helper, the Holy Spirit. He will come upon you. Now, the Spirit isn't birthed at Pentecost. He's been eternally existent with Father and Son from all eternity past. And in fact, as you look through the Old Testament, you, you find the Spirit and the Spirit empowering people, as I mentioned, even Exodus chapter 35, these workers empowered by the Spirit. But what's unique about Pentecost is for the first time in the history of God's people is that the Spirit is coming not just to come upon people, but to indwell people and to live indwell them permanently, to live and empower them permanently. So in the Old Testament, you have the Spirit of God coming upon prophets, and some of the examples would, of this would be among, uh, upon Balaam or Athaniel, one of the prophets, or Jephthah in the book of Judges. It says uh, in Judges that the, the Spirit of the Lord stirred Samson, but the Spirit is coming upon them, empowering them, but then departing, not, not indwelling them permanently. It, it says that Gideon in Judges was clothed with the Spirit. That's a, that gets a little closer to what we're talking about here at the beginning of, of, of Pentecost. Ezekiel says that the Spirit of the Lord fell upon me. And if you look at the life of King Saul in the Old Testament, there are times that he is empowered by the Holy Spirit, but it also says that as, as Saul began to, to uh, wander, to run from God and to rebel, it says that the Spirit of God departed from him. You might remember that. And even David, the man's of, after God's own heart, he sins. And one of the things he prays in his repentant psalm, Psalm 51, is that, God, take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Now, that's a prayer that we don't have to pray today if we're indwelt by the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit indwells us permanently. And we see that beginning right here in Acts chapter 2. Let me get a drink of water, excuse me. <clears throat> Turn with me, uh, if you would. I don't have this on the screen to John chapter 14 where we see Jesus has promised this. John 14, 15, he says, if you love me, you will keep my commands and I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper <clears throat> to be with you forever. How long? Forever. forever. Verse 17, even the spirit of truth, he is not the spirit of lies, he's not the spirit of confusion, he's not the spirit of anything but the truth. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for, look at this, verse Verse 17, for he dwells with you and will be in you. You might want to underline dwell and in you. Go flipping over to verse 26 of John chapter 14. But the helper, he's not only the spirit of truth, he's the helper, capital H, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. One of the, the basic roles, the primary roles of the Holy Spirit is to bring to our mind the truth. He's the spirit of truth to remind us of Jesus, to comfort us as Jesus would comfort us. And so now it's apparent in this new age, as the Spirit has come, that the Spirit em empowers us and the Spirit indwells us permanently. Romans chapter 8, verse 9, if you want to jot this one down. Romans 8, 9 says it like this. He says, anyone, Paul's writing, he says, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. So you can't know Jesus and not have the Holy Spirit. 
Now, Acts presents some problems because, uh, or some issues, some difficulties, because there's times in Acts that we, speak, that we see the Spirit delayed after belief. The Spirit doesn't come immediately at belief. We'll see that as we go on in Acts chapter 8 and Acts chapter 9 and on into Acts chapter 19. There's this delay of the Spirit, which we'll explain when we get there. But normatively, in the confusing parts of the Bible, we interpret with the plain parts of the Bible, okay? And so the normatively, what happens is that you trust in Jesus and you right then, at the moment of faith, are indwelt with the Holy Spirit And not only indwelt, but the language that the Apostle Paul will use also is the language of sealing. You have been sealed, stamped, made secure, imprinted with the Holy Spirit. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 13 and Ephesians 4.30 talks about how we are sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Never to depart from us, never to leave us but to indwell us and to transform us from the inside out. A new era has come. Thank God for the Spirit given to us, not just to come and go, but to empower us as his followers and as his ministers and missionaries as we go and be his witnesses. And that we, as we follow him daily. Point number two, not only is a new era apparent here in Acts chapter two, but a new people is being formed. A new people is being formed by the Spirit. The church begins. This new covenant community of the Spirit is forming. And we see that in Acts chapter 2, verse 5, as Becky read it to us, that that who was gathered here in Jerusalem were, now there were, verse 5, now there were dwelling in Jerusalem devout men from every nation under heaven. And so what you have at this Feast of Pentecost is people from all different parts of the Mediterranean world coming together at Pentecost and the Holy Spirit descends upon them as they are gathered, this multicultural, multilingual group of people. So we have a map of some of these hard-to-pronounce places, but Pamphylia, Cappadocia, Libya, Egypt, uh, I think it says Medes, right? Parthia, all these places in the Roman world, people from all these different areas has de- have descended into Jerusalem at the time of this giving of the Spirit. If you look on down, it uh, names them there in verses 8 uh, through 11. And what's significant about this, not only are there devout Jews, but there's also proselytes, non-Jewish people that have joined them, according to verse 11. And what's significant about this is that Jesus is telling us And the Holy Spirit coming at this time is telling us that something is changing now. You see, from Genesis 12 all the way to Acts chapter 1, the the Lord's work has primarily been through this nation Israel that he founded and formed with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, right? You remember those names from the Old Testament. And most of the scripture has been focusing on his work in the life of Israel, And what's happening here in Pentecost, well, first of all, let me back up. Why is he focused on, why do I say from Genesis 12 to Acts chapter 1? Because what happened at Genesis chapter 11? Anybody recall? There is this thing, this significant event that happens in Genesis chapter 11, and that is the tower of what? Babel, blabbering. And what had happened in Genesis chapter 11 is that these people decided, Genesis 11 verse 4, that they're going to build this tower. Why? To make a name for themselves. 
That's what the scriptures say. They were going to build this tower to reach to the heavens to make a name for themselves. And what's happening in Acts chapter 2, get this, is the reversal of Genesis chapter 11. They're scattered by languages. In Genesis chapter 11 and Acts chapter 2, what happens? They are brought together in different languages where they can all hear in their own native language. It's the reversal of the curse of Babel. And so what this means is that that what the church is doing is not nationally specific in Israel, but it's multinational. It's multilingual. The church is is not an ethnic community. It's a multi-ethnic community. And it's this new people from every tribe, every tongue, and every nation. That God is wanting all the nations, all the different tongues to come together under the unity of Jesus and the spirit of God that binds us together to be a new people. John Stott says it like this. At Babel, human languages were confused and the nations were scattered. In Jerusalem, the language barrier was supernaturally overcome as a sign that the nations would now be gathered together in Christ prefiguring the great day when the redeemed company will be drawn from every nation, tribe, people, and language. At Babel, earth tried to ascend to heaven, whereas in Jerusalem, heaven humbly descended to earth. What Jesus wants for his church is not all of us to be the same skin color, not all of us to be from the same neighborhood, but as diverse as the world we live in, to be as diverse as the church. Oh, how I want this for Centennial Church. What a testimony to the world that we could gather with those of dark skin, with those of light skin, with those from poorer neighborhoods, with those of the richest of neighborhoods. Male, female, blue-collar worker, white-collar worker, and be united about the name of Jesus. As you get to chapter 2, verse 21, he's going to talk about calling upon the name of Jesus. That in Genesis chapter 11, they tried to make a name for themselves. And in Acts chapter 2 and following, at no other name but the name of Jesus will people be saved. Gathered under the name of Jesus. The church is not supposed to be comfortable for you and me. Racially. Socially. Economically. And I would say this a lot of times to people talking about, yeah, there's just people in my small group, it has, we, just, we don't connect, we don't have something in common. Guess what? <laughs> that what the people in the early church had in common was not their financial situation, was not their neighborhood, was not their skin color. What they had in common was Jesus, and that broke down all other barriers. Oh, that we could be a picture of the world for unity around Jesus, unity that comes by the Spirit. Yeah. Finally, and I got a truck here. A new power. Where did the time go? Oh my goodness. We have a new power. The new power is ours in the Spirit. Acts 1.8 is fulfilled as the Spirit comes here. And the, the evidence of the Spirit here is tongues. They are speaking foreign languages that they, didn't, that they did not previously know. Now, there's a little confusion here because the Bible talks about tongues elsewhere, too, primarily in tongues, uh, primarily, excuse me, in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 14. 
And so while the the Spirit gives this gift of tongues, in chapter 14, it seems to be that tongues may not be human languages. Therefore, there has to be an interpreter present if you're to speak in tongues. If, if someone were to speak in tongues in our gathering, unlike the Pentecostal church my grandparents were with, there would need to be an interpreter to say, this is what that tongue means. And so some have said that the tongues that uh, happen in chapter 2 are the, the same gift, but it has a different purpose and a different direction in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. And I'm giving you a lot of information here right at the end, but bear with me, okay? So go home and read 1 Corinthians 14. But the idea there is that it's some type, probably, could be a human language, but it could also be an angelic or a heavenly language unknown to other humans that requires an interpreter. I do think that throughout Acts, you see this uh, coming of the Spirit and the gift of tongues, and it was a sign to the people that were gathered there and, and some that might not even have been believers. It was a sign that this is legit. God is in this, and that was the evidence, the speaking in tongues, that the Spirit had come, and these people were authenticated as apostles and prophets by the gift of tongues as well as the miraculous deeds that they did. But whether the evidence of the Holy Spirit is tongues or not, what, has, what we have to say is that the power of the Spirit, whatever, however it's evidenced, is true for us as it was for them, that we have the power of the Spirit within us, whether that's through tongues or whether that's through prophecy or whether that's just the power by which to walk in the newness of life in contrast to the death of the world around us. We have power. And perhaps we have neglected, perhaps we have sidestepped the shy member of the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Holy Spirit, and and, uh, been scared or fearful about who the Holy Spirit is and what he wants to do, how he wants to empower us. As I was finishing this this morning, and I, I really felt like I should have said not just a new power is ours in the Spirit, but a new person. Because the Holy Spirit is not just a power, he is a person. He's the third person of the Trinity that is indwelling us So it's not just this power that we have, but it's his presence and his power. And that power is powerful. And just, I don't have these on the screen, but flip with me here very quickly. But beginning in Ephesians, I just want to show you how prominent this is. And here's a little homework assignment for you today, okay? Homework assignment. Just take your Bible and the 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 concordance in the back of your Bible, the cross-references, and look up every place in the New Testament that talks about power, the power that comes from the Spirit, the power that is ours. Fascinating Bible study. If you were to look up all those places that mention the power of God. Okay, Ephesians chapter 1. Look at this. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 19. He says, he's praying for them. He says, I want you to know the immeasurable greatness of his power for us who believe. Flip over to chapter 3, verse 16. Again, another prayer. He, he prays for this church in Ephesus. He says, that you may, he, he says, I want you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. I want you to be strengthened with power through God's spirit in your inner being. Drop on down to Verse 20 of the same chapter, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power at work. Where is it at work? 
within us, it says. I want you to be strengthened by power. I want you to know the power at work within us. The power of that same Holy Spirit of Acts chapter 2. And look, this happens over and over again. Flip over with me quickly. Philippians chapter 3 talks about power. Paul writes this, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. Every book here. Colossians chapter 1 verse 11. He says this, May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. Strengthened with all power according to his, his glorious might. Verse 19, or excuse me, verse 29, excuse me, verse 29 of Colossians chapter 1. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy which he powerfully works in me. Power, power, power. And one of my favorites, we won't go there, but uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 7 and 8. It says, for he did not give us a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power, love, and self-discipline. If you have the Holy Spirit, if I have the Holy Spirit here this morning, we have a person of God and we have the power of God in us. What could that mean? What strongholds could that break? What freedom could that give us? What miracles might that accomplish? What signs and wonders might God want to do? I'm pushing us this morning. If you sense that I'm convicted of this, this has gotten all over me as we've begun this study of Acts. We have the Holy Spirit of God. And I want to charge you this morning. Here's my, here's my question to us this morning. My question to us this morning is not do you speak in tongues or do you believe in tongues? My, my question for us this morning, for you to honestly, seriously think about and be challenged by is this, do you believe the Bible? We're a Bible church. We believe this book. We want to follow this book. And I fear that this book has shown us that there is more power available to us than we have desired. Amen. Don't you want that power? Don't you want to know Jesus deeper? Don't you want to be strengthened in your inner man with power? Man, I know some brothers and sisters among us, and we feel weak this morning. We do not feel strong. Here's the good news. 2 Corinthians chapter 12 says, I'm not going to take that thorn from your flesh, but my grace will be sufficient because my power is perfected in weakness. If you feel weak, you're in a good place to receive and experience Jesus' power. 
I'm going to ask us to sing one song as we conclude here this morning. I want you to pray with me right now for the Holy Spirit to be powerful among us. Let's pray. Oh God, forgive us. Forgive me. Wake me up from my sleepiness. Wake me up from my faithlessness. Forgive me for thinking of salvation as a transaction and not a transformation. Holy Spirit, help us. Holy Spirit, revive us. Holy Spirit, bring life. If we don't know Jesus, would you bring life this morning? Holy Spirit, would you bring joy? Would you bring peace to our hearts? Would you bring power? Would you bring your gifts and your knowledge to us? Would you unify us? Would you make us powerful to witness in Frisco and in Haiti and around the world and in Guatemala and in England and in India, in Richwoods, in McKinney, in Allen. God, thank you that the power is not ours, but the power is a gift from you. God, help us to receive it from you. Help us to experience Holy Spirit, thank you for Jesus, for the mercy and the grace that comes through him. It's in his beautiful name we pray, amen.